Buenos días. ¿Me pueden escuchar? Estaba pensando, debo, debo predicar en español esta mañana. Yo creo que estamos en California y casi la mayoría habla en español. El idioma de los cielos. Um, I, uh, I am... I, I, I greatly want to preach God's word, and um, it's my passion, and uh, I, at the same time this morning, I <laughs> really, I, do, I, I don't want to preach this morning, actually. I generally really want to preach, but um, I am feeling um, maybe lots of spiritual battle. Um, in some ways, I was thinking I just, uh, I was going to look for a poem, to preach this morning rather than God's Word. I wanted to preach a poem about uh, nature and, and bears and uh, mountains and rivers and lakes. And, uh, but I, I just really feel like, and then Scott was preaching like obedience. and I feel like God is, is leading me to preach this passage. And, and so I just want to say beforehand, I'm sorry, this is not going to be a very encouraging message. So... Uh, Yes, lots of water. Thank you. <clears throat> um, Luke 16. I wasn't planning on preaching this once again. I just I feel like I feel like I should preach this. Luke 16. And this is that famous passage of um, Lazarus and the rich man. And um, it's not it's not really it's not fun to preach on hell. Um, but I, I just I, I think that Jehovah's Witnesses deny the doctrine of hell. And I really think that uh, most Christians also deny the doctrine of hell. And really, urgency in these last days, I think if we had more of a grasp on the reality of hell and, um, and, and the fact that it, it is taught in the Bible by Jesus Himself right here in this passage, it, it should really fill our, fill our hearts with, with a, a sense of urgency to, to take the gospel here in these last 60 minutes of history, human history, or these last 60 minutes, this, these last few years of, of your life, it is now we need to take this message with a sense of tremendous urgency. And uh, really what I want to bring out, my main point in, in this passage, and that I see there's really kind of two points, main points that I, I want to bring out, but uh, I have to just really land on one. As you're noticing the way that I preach, I try to bring out one kind of line that you'll remember, and you'll never, you're going to forget everything else that I said, but you'll remember 60 minutes to go. Or you'll remember everything else, but you'll remember it's going to rain. Well, um, this is the one that I want you to remember today. Attitudes in hell that should exist in the church. Attitudes in hell that should exist in church. Another way that you could preach this passage and the main point that comes out is hell has no exits. Hell has no exits. And if I was going to preach this passage open air on the street corner, that's the main point that I would bring out. Hell has no exits. But since I'm preaching to, to church people, and most of you are saved, maybe there are, there are some here that, that are on their way to hell. Um. I want to bring out that warning. Hell has no exits. 
But as believers, most of us this morning, I just want to bring out this point. Attitudes in hell that should exist in the church. So before I read the passage and get into a few points here, um, I'd like to um, share this illustration and then pray and then read. So um, when we lived in the south of the jungle um, in, in Peru, there was a, uh, a tribe named the Esaeca Indians. And uh, I would go and visit uh, this tribe from, from time to time. And uh, there was a brother from the Shipibo Indians who had gone to uh, uh, Doug Dixon. I think I was telling him something about this. But uh, where are you? Um, he spent several years in Peru also. And uh, you know some of these stories. But uh, uh, the, the Shipibos, who, who, who Doug was familiar with in, in the Pucalpa area, the Shipibos, a native tribe that missionaries had reached, they sent a missionary of their own, a Shipibo brother named Usias. And he went and he lived with the Esejas. And I would go down and I'd visit this brother and encourage him in the work. And, and uh, every time we'd go, open air meetings with the Esejas Indians and uh, tremendous times. But one day this brother Usias, uh, the missionary there, he showed up at our door. Uh, in town. We're in town in Puerto Maldonado and uh, six hours away was where this, the Eseja Indians were. Anyway, uh, Usias had come and he told me this story. Um, he said, Brother Michael, you won't believe what just happened. Uh, a, a senorita in the village of Eseja, she had just given birth to a baby boy and after a couple, couple of days, this baby boy had come down with like a common cold. It might have been coronavirus, I don't know, but this was like actually 15 years ago or something. Um, but anyway, uh, the, the baby was, was deathly ill, actually, and, and Usias was trying to convince the mother, we've got to get your baby upriver to the clinic where we can get medical attention. And uh, the mother was like, no, it's, it's a long trip upriver, and, and it's sitting in the canoe for six hours and the sun beating down on us. Let's just see if the baby gets better. They just left the baby and kind of unattended there in the hammock. And uh, as Usias continues to tell me the story, he says, so like the next day he goes and checks on the baby, and the baby's worse. And he's trying to convince the mother, we've got to get this, this baby to, up to the clinic where we can get antibiotics and doctor and, and everything, and, and maybe we can save the baby's life. And the mother's, oh, no, come on. This went on. She continued to refuse uh, the advice of Usias to get medical attention for a couple of days. Finally, Usias goes, the baby is in grave condition. He can tell the baby's going to die. We've got to get the baby upriver. And so he takes this, the mother and the father there, the family, by force. And just he's like, I will take you in my own canoe. I'll put my own gasoline in the peke peke motor. And, and we're going. And kind of, yeah, they're forced to go. They get in the canoe. They're, they're going upriver. As they come around the last bend, to get to the city, and, and you can see the city from this last bend. He stops the canoe on the side. He's got to put more gasoline in, in his, in his peke-peke motor, and he goes and he, he asks the senorita, so how's the baby? We're almost there. We're, we're going to get to the clinic. How's the baby doing? And the mother, with no emotion at all, completely like indifferent, he looks at Usias, she looks at Usias and says, oh, the baby died a few hours ago. And Usias is like, what? A few hours ago, where's the baby? Where's the baby? And he's looking in the sheets, these sheets that they wrapped the baby in. Where's the baby? He couldn't find the baby. Where's the baby? And she goes, oh, we threw him in the river. And as Usias is telling me this story, I'm like, what? How can there exist 
a, a mother with her own child and the indifference. And she could have saved her own son's life and just waiting all these days and kind of who cares. And then, and then even on the, on the boat ride, what, you threw your baby in the river? How can this, this, this woman deserves to be put in jail? Unbelievable. And then it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. We as Christians are a lot like that. As souls all around us are going to hell. And we don't even really care. We're just completely indifferent. And in this story right here that we're going to read, Lazarus and the rich man, you see this man that's in hell. And he has this sense of urgency to be an evangelist or send evangelists to my family. This, this sense of urgency is found in hell that really should be in the church. Attitudes in hell that should exist in the church. Uh, let me read the passage and then we'll pray. Th there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously, an American who feasted sumptuously every day. Oh, there's so many funny things I could say right there. I just won't, I won't say it. <clears throat> I love eating. <clears throat> and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed. A great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if, or he said, to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let's pray. Father God, I don't like this story. The realities of hell. And souls will be there. Souls of family members. A few of the souls that are here this morning listening. There are probably a few here that will be there in hell one day. Lord, I pray that this story right here would put 
a burning sense of urgency in our hearts here in these last days. Oh God, we just heard about obedience. Obedience is what you desire. Lord, you desire obedience in, in many areas in our, in our Christian life, but one would be in the area of evangelism. Even though it's uncomfortable, many of us, it's not our comfort zone. Not sure many times what to say or afraid of offending people. And Oh, but Lord, if we could just have more of an eternal perspective, if we could recognize there would be people in hell that one day would just be like, what? Why didn't you tell me? Why weren't you more urgent with me? Oh, Lord, help us to go to people with love. Help us to feel a great sense of urgency and share the great love of Christ, but also sober warnings about this real place of hell. Oh, help us somehow to, to communicate these things, with, but with great love and even tears in our eyes, as George Whitfield would preach. Tears in our eyes. Lord, we think of Jesus as he shared the gospel or... <laughs> He shared how to get eternal life with a young, a young, rich American. And he looked at him in love. I pray that somehow I would be able to preach this with love. <clears throat> so Lord, we put these few minutes in, into your hands. Ask that you would help. In Jesus' name, amen. So you see, uh, <clears throat> basically two men before death. In this story, um, real, real quickly, just briefly, these two men before death um, and what their life was like. You see two men at the moment of death, and then you see two men after death. And the majority of the story there is, is these two men after death. But uh, two men before death, and, and one is, is rich, and the other is poor. One is healthy, and the other is sick. One lives in luxury, and the other lives in misery. One is full and one is empty. One is having a good time in, at banquets with friends, frequent banquets with friends, and the other one is, is suffering with dogs. He mentions his friends are dogs all around him. Um, which person would you want to be? And don't tell me, oh, I want to be the suffering poor guy that all his friends are dogs. No, 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 you do not want to be that guy until you find out one is a believer and one is an unbeliever. One is a, a Christian and one is a non-Christian. One is, uh, actually, it's interesting, one has a name. His name is mentioned, Lazarus, and the other, his name isn't even mentioned. I love that, how the Scriptures do that. And God, like Scott was pointing out there about how... Uh, um, it doesn't say much about Moses, it's just these little hints about who he was in Egypt and who he could have been if he had continued on that path. Just these little hints, but not much about it. And here, this rich man, it sounds like a, a very important and maybe even powerful person, but it doesn't even give us his name. <laughs> and God gives us the poor man's name, Lazarus. I love that. You begin to realize one is on his way to hell and one is on his way to heaven. And you? 
really, I, I, I think that we ought to do some soul searching. Where are you with the Lord? Are you really a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? You've come to the conference and maybe there are children here. You've never made that decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe that would happen during this week. But really, where are you at with the Lord? Looking at these two different men. And, and all of this passage is just this huge contrast between these two guys. Major contrast. Some comparisons. But it's interesting. Then you get to this point here in, in verse 22. Two men at the moment of death. And the poor man died and was carried by, Ab by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. I love that. At the moment of death, one is carried and one is buried. One is carried to be in heaven. And here it seems... Now, I might be wrong on this, but there are some things in the Scriptures. This is a side point. It, it seems that before the cross of Christ, we had Hades for unbelievers and this seems to be a place of torment and, and flames and, and um, suffering um, Abraham's bosom seems to be this, this place where believers go and this is before the cross after the cross it seems like Hades those in Hades are transferred to hell so you go from bad to worse after the cross uh, but you go from good to better also believers go from Abraham's bosom to heaven and then it seems at some point, um, seems after the millennial age, after the great white throne judgment, then those from heaven are transferred, well, from heaven, I think, are in the millennial age, but then they're transferred into the new heavens and new earth, whereas um, those that are in hell are transferred into the lake of fire. So, so I might be wrong on that. That's kind of the Old Testament, New Testament, new heavens and new earth to come the worlds that are to come it seems that it goes from that from bad to worse to, to really worse or from you know good to better to paradise for all of all of eternity but um we can debate about that afterwards some might not agree with me back to the passage here two men at the moment of death everything is this contrast before and after except for at death they both die this is death the, the great equalizer it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, healthy or suffering and sick. I mean, at the end, we all die and all of a sudden it's this equal plane. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or healthy or, or, or sick there at that day. You both, everyone dies, Hebrews 9.27. Each one is appointed a day to die and then comes the judgment. And we're familiar with that verse, but have you ever thought about, think about that day when you'll die. And I know this isn't pleasant, but maybe this message isn't very pleasant anyway, and I told you it's not going to be very encouraging, and I'm sorry. Let's just think about dying. How would you like to die? Have you thought about, how, how, how are you going to die? Anyone, anyone want to drown? Heart attack? That's what you'd prefer? Okay. It's probably, if, as long as it's fast, yeah. Thrown off half dome. Where, where's that? <laughs> yeah, that, that would be pretty exciting. I mean, until you like, and it'd be quick. Yeah, I don't know, but I, I mean, it. Yeah, we could kind of laugh about this, but uh, pretty uh, terrifying. Um, electrocution. 
I was an electrician, been electrocuted many times in, in, in our electrical school. You had to watch videos of, uh, real videos of pe people being electrocuted, uh, deathly electrocuted. Car accident, some will probably die here from car accident. Some will surely die from cancer here. Maybe a few would be murdered. Maybe as we live in these last days, persecution will really come and we would have a, a group of martyrs here. What an honor. But, but you think about the moment of death. And, and, and these two men die. And, and think about this rich man who dies. At the moment of death, the rich man, he begs the wrong person. Like his, immediately, he, he wakes up in hell. He wakes up in Hades. And immediately he begs, this is interesting, begs the wrong person at the wrong time with the wrong request. And he basically received the answer, you're wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> What's he doing praying to Abraham? You're praying to the wrong person. He's got the wrong request, like send, send Lazarus to bring some water. And, and, and it's at the wrong time. Too late. You're too late. Rich man, you're too late. And I mean, it's Abraham gives him, he corrects him on every single one of these questions. You're wrong, wrong, wrong. What a shock on that day to basically be told you're wrong. You were wrong about everything. Oh, some of you that are here and you've never placed your faith in Christ. What a terror to wake up in hell and all of a sudden realize you were wrong about everything that you believed. You, you just kind of thought this whole thing, the Bible was a, another religi a re religiosity. So many religions in the world. And you, oh, it's just another one of the religions. And oh, we were just, yeah, it's, a, it's about being religious and, and being good and doing good and, and trying to be faithful to your religion. And, and you never really bought that it's all about a real relationship with the living God who's provided a way that you can be saved, that you can come into that relationship. You never understood it, or maybe you did understood it, but you just flat out rejected it. And then to die and to wake up that day in the shock and Jesus talks about this a little bit in the Sermon on the Mount on the end, at the end there where he says, you know, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, I went to the Yosemite Conference. Lord, Lord, I preached at the Yosemite Conference. Lord, Lord, I did miracles in your name. I mean, these are people that it's like they really thought they were, they were in. And it's a shock as Jesus looks at them and says, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. I think that we just, we need these warnings. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to be the, the bringer of warnings. I don't write the mail, I just deliver it. But um, I want to point out now um, a few, I think I've got eight. So this might go really long. No, I've got nine. No, I think I can really whip through these nine points. No, I, I just want to bring out a few realities of hell. And what I want to try to do with this is just put us a, a, a sense of urgency in our hearts. I mentioned in the, in the first meeting about Gideon, put a burning fire in our hearts and that that burning fire in our hearts would melt the lead in our feet or in our shoes. And, and, and man, hell is real. Hell has no exits. 
and, and people are going there, now is the time to go with the gospel. And there are attitudes in hell right now. There are prayer meetings in hell going on right now. Prayer meet people, you can imagine people in hell just praying, God, please send evangelists to my family. Send evangelists to my friends, realizing they're coming here too. And I really, I hope to just sense of urgency here in these last days, recognizing hell is real. And I want to show you a few realities about hell. So look at this. Um, first of all, it's, it's just a real place. Um, verse 23 and in Hades, the very first line, first three words after it says the rich man died and was buried, and in Hades, the, the guy wakes up. I mean, it's immediate. He, he goes to hell and he, and he wakes up. It's, it's a real place. There's no reason to believe either that this is a parable. I always thought growing up this was a, another parable that Jesus told. But if you read, it does not start out saying, and Jesus told them a parable. It doesn't say that. Jesus just like, verse, verse 19, there was a rich man. He starts into this story, and there's nothing here that implies this is a parable. He's just straight up telling a real story. It sounds like. So there's no reason to take this as, as, as symbolic or anything like that. We know from Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, that hell was originally created for uh, the devil and his, his fallen angels. But then we see in, in uh, Apocalypse, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, that uh, anyone whose name was not written down in, in the Lamb's book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And, and, and so hell is a real place, and, and actually there are people, human beings, that will go there. Many, it seems. Um, the second thing that... So number one, hell is a real place. Number two... You arrive there immediately. Um, I, I already, I guess, got into that point right there in the beginning. The first words that, that are written in verse 23, in Hades, you go directly there. And, and, and you don't know the day or the hour. I, it is possible that uh, before I get done preaching this message, someone that's sitting here listening could keel over dead. And maybe that some, someone was an unbeliever. Before I'm done with this message, there will be people worldwide, before I'm done with this message, many people will have entered into hell. Ezekiel, it says, while he preached, this guy died as he's preaching. I hope that doesn't happen here at this group. But uh, what I just want to emphasize is, I mean, it's something that happens immediately. You die and you wake up in hell is what it seems like. I don't see any soul sleep or anything like that right here. Um, the next thing that... Uh, the third reality of hell. This is interesting. You're fully conscious. Verses 23 to 28, you can just pick out these little things. It, it, it says, he lifted up his eyes in verse 23. He lifted up his eyes. So this kind of implies he can see. So I want to I just, I'm trying to nail down, look at this. You're fully conscious in hell. You can see. Later on it says, I mean, he spoke. He called out, it says. He calls out to Abraham. So he can see Abraham afar off. And I'm not saying that this is like, this story is telling us that necessarily everyone in hell can see everything in heaven and they can talk to people in heaven. I don't think that's the idea. But I think the idea is you're conscious there. 
He, he can lift up his eyes. He calls out. He can feel. He talks about, I'm in this anguish, in this flame. And, and also another thing, he can reason. He's in hell and he's actually, he starts to realize hell has no exits. I'm in anguish in this flame. No one can come from that other side over to here. No one from here can go over there. He starts to reason, my brothers. My brothers. So in hell you can reason. You, you can see. You can call out. He, he, he's in actually anguish. He has feelings. He can feel it, the flames. Another thing, it's a place of separation. Verse Verses 23 and 26 both talk about this chasm or seeing Abraham afar off. Listen, hell, you're far from God. You're far from grace. You're far from salvation. You're far from a second chance. You're far from love. You're far from mercy. You're far away from everything that is good. There's this huge chasm and he just he begins to realize all these things. You can just almost see this guy and feel everything that he's recognizing in that first minute in hell. I'm separated from everything that's good. Every possibility of escaping from here. And he just this recognition, it, it, it's a place of separation. It's a place where you're fully conscious. It's a place where you arrive immediately. It's a place, it's a real place. Number five. It's a place of torment. Verse 23, verse 25, verse 28. Being in torment, anguish in his flame. You're in anguish. This is a place of torment. It's just kind of saying the same things over and over again. You know, one time in, in one of our villages in, in Peru, Asuncion, and we, we, I arrived in this village and the river had really flooded and the river had taken out this whole section of the village and it was the section where the cemetery was and so the villagers were frantically trying to get the bodies of uh or the bones and the coffins uh simple coffins out of like the the whole river had just carved it out so you could see these these coffins were halfway sticking out of the bank and people were getting the, the, the coffins and some of them were rotted and it was just bones. And they, were, they had built this rack and they were, they were putting the bones and, 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 and the ones that were left in coffins still up on this rack uh, out in the sun, I guess, to, to dry or whatever. And then they were going to get ready to rebury them. And Anyway, I just as I arrived at the village and saw this, I just thought to myself, what an illustration of of the realities of hell these these people actually they were getting ready to they were going to either try to try to rebury some of them or or burn these the ones that were on the rack were going to be burned and i just thought of what an illustration of these bones of these people that have died and i don't know how long ago but now they're burning them and if these these souls ended up in hell and they're experiencing the flames of hell itself while at the same time, their, their bodies or bones that were left are going to be burned and consumed at this moment. Man, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Need to preach the gospel. Just 60 minutes to go. Souls are going to hell. There are attitudes in hell that should exist in the church. It's a place of torment. It's a place of separation. It's a place where you're fully conscious. It's a place where you arrive immediately. It's a real place. And now, number six, it's a place where you remember. 
Look at verse 25. It says right there, but Abraham said, child, remember, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. Remember. That's probably got to be I don't know, I want to say one of the worst things in hell. Maybe that, maybe I don't know if you can list off worst. One of the terrible things about hell is just that you can remember life on earth and, and remember all of the times that you heard the love of Christ preached to you and you rejected it. Can you imagine in hell remembering those times at camp when you were a little kid and you heard messages preached from the Bible and you just kind of sat back and, 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 and couldn't wait until the game started. And when's this preacher going to end his long, boring message? And then you remember other times when your grandma shared the gospel with you. Or you remember other times when you saw your dad on his knees with his Bible open reading. And then you sit in hell and you remember these times when you heard the message of the gospel preached on the radio or something in the car when you were driving along and you rejected it and you rejected it and you rejected it. Your entire life you rejected, rejected, rejected. And now you sit in hell and you remember all of those times when God sent warning after warning. Messages of warning and wrath to come and messages of love and grace, and mercy, and how he wants to come into a right, and, or you, he asking you, wooing you to come into a right and real relationship with him, and you rejected it. Can you imagine sitting in hell and recognizing and remembering all of those things? Oh, the regret. Seventh thing. It's a place you can't escape from. I know this is a lot like it's a place of separation, but it's a place that you can't escape from. Once again, hell has no exits, no, no escape, no hope. You, kind of, you, can, you can kind of see here this, this desperation. And once you realize that there's no escape, there, there's, that there's no way out of here, there's no, no exits, the desperation. And, and I kind of wonder if there will be preaching in hell. Preaching by, yes, damned souls that, that are there just preaching like maybe the gospel message, but and we, it, all of the messages would, re, would end with, and we rejected it. Them preaching these amazing gospel messages and, and we had a last chance and now there's no exits. Now there's no hope. While I preach the gospel here, while you preach the gospel here, we can end those messages with, there's hope, there's grace, there's mercy, there's love. Oh God, He is wooing you, He is bringing you or drawing you to Himself. What will you do with Jesus while there's still time? But in hell they'll be preaching. And now there's no hope. Now there's no grace. Now there's no mercy. What will you do with the time left? Well, you don't have any time left. Can you imagine the terror recognizing this, that there's no escape now for all of eternity? There will be multitudes in hell listening to those gospel messages just saying, oh, if I just had one more chance. Oh, if, if there was just an evangelist. I don't have another chance, but an evangelist that would go and tell my family, 
that leading to this, this next, this great panic. There's a clamoring, a screaming, a begging. There are probably prayer meetings in hell. This, I mean, that's what you basically see with this guy. He's praying to the wrong guy at the wrong time about the wrong thing. But can you imagine just if they could just get one minute back on earth and come back and just preach, don't come to hell. Don't go there. Attitudes in hell that should exist in the church. Let me read this. One of my favorite quotes by C.H. Spurgeon. He said, If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. I mean, if they refuse it, they refuse it. But man, it's like over my dead body. Not on my watch. Ezekiel, the watchman. We're watchmen. Whether we like it or not. And many people tell me, well, my gift isn't evangelism. I don't care. <laughs> Your family's going to hell and you're just, oh, well, it's not my gift to tell them. <laughs> what are you talking about? I really don't feel like evangelism is my gift either. But I just, I feel this sense of urgency. Hell is a place of great panic. It's a place where you can't escape from. It's a place where you can remember everything that happened on earth. It's a place of great torment. It's a place of separation. It's a place where you're fully conscious. It's a place that you arrive at immediately after death. It's a real, literal place. Last one, it's a place with no Bible. Look at this in 29 to 31. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That's, that's absolutely shocking. You would think, man, if somebody rose from the dead to like tell you about hell, like, like, like a family member that has died and is in hell right now. I have a couple of those. And if my grandpa Jerry, who's in hell, completely rejected Jesus, if he could come back from the dead and preach and say it's all real, hell's real, don't go there. You would think that that would convince people and his own family members that knew him well, that you'd think that that would convince them, okay, yeah, wow, somebody came back from hell to preach. But right here it says, basically, if you're not going to obey the teachings of the Bible, if you're not going to believe the teachings of the Bible, Neither will you believe the greatest of miracles that you could see right in front of your very eyes. Man, that's an exhortation to read your Bible and heed your Bible. Read and believe. Read and obey. The, absolutely amazing. There's no Bible in, in hell. It's a place with no Bible. And obviously, it doesn't matter. Or maybe, maybe there are Bibles in hell. I don't know. But the idea is you need to read it and believe it now while there's still time. Now while there's still time. And now, 
to end this extremely discouraging message, let me tell an extremely discouraging story. Um, this is a story that I heard about uh, a, a girl that grew up in a, in a fine Christian home. Um, she, she grew up going to youth group, having good parents, um, good Christian friends also at the youth group. And at one point, she got in with a bad group of friends and um, just started drifting from the Lord, drifting from the church, drifting from her family. And uh, really getting into worse and worse things. And uh, her, her parents begging her, come back, come back to church. Come back to the Lord. I don't know if you ever really believed. And she denied the faith, faith completely. She runs away from home. Her friends at church sought her out. Begging her to come back, come back to the church, come to the Lord while there's still time. But she rejected it, rejected it, rejected it. And into really bad things, really bad group of friends. Finally, she ends up gravely ill. And she ends up in a hospital bed. And her, her mother is in the hospital room with her one night. And, and once again, she's, she's very, very sick. And her mother's at her side there. And, and the girl is sleeping. And she apparently has a nightmare or a dream. And she just begins to toss and turn in bed. And, uh, 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 and she, she wakes up and she's screaming, Ezekiel 7, 8, and 9. Ezekiel 7, 8, and 9. And her mother, what, honey, honey? And she's just... The girl is, Mom, Ezekiel, uh, so, uh, somebody appeared to me in my dream and just said Ezekiel 7, 8, and 9. And so her mother kind of frantically, yeah, she, she opens up her Bible looking, Ezekiel chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. And she reads these words out loud to her daughter. Now I will soon pour out my wrath upon you and spend my anger against you and judge you according to your ways. I will punish you for all your abominations, and my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will punish you according to your ways, while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord who strikes. Nice encouraging verse. Apparently as she reads this verse to her daughter, her daughter just goes into terrified screaming and within five minutes she was dead the girl ends in in hell god knows the story hell the very ending of it oh brothers and sisters there are attitudes in hell there are people in hell right now that have this tremendous, urgent passion that someone would just go to their family and to their friends and to share warnings, sober warnings of the realities of hell and, and, and to share the love and the mercy and the grace that is extended to them while they still have life in their bodies. Like that Eseja Senorita that uh, was completely indifferent. It almost seems couldn't care less if 
her child died. Are you like that? Am I like that? When we look at souls around and we just kind of couldn't care less if they went to hell. Oh, that's not the attitude of hell right now. There are attitudes in hell that should exist in the assemblies. What has happened to us? The assemblies, we used to be known for evangelism and discipleship. Good Bible teaching. I don't know if that's the case anymore. In any of those areas. Father God, I pray that you would put a burning desire into our hearts to share the gospel with anyone and everyone. Knowing that hell is real. Oh Lord, I'd like to try to figure out a way to de deny the doctrine of hell biblically. I'd like to just try to figure out how it's not really there in the Bible, but it's just too clear. Once again, Lord, I pray that you would stamp eternity on our eyeballs. Give us an eternal perspective. I pray that you would put a sense of urgency into our bones. I pray that there would be a great returning to your word, a back to the Bible movement, recognizing that uh, if we don't believe what the Bible says, Moses and the prophets, and now we have the apostles from the New Testament, the whole canon of Scripture in our hands, and if we don't believe that, Neither will we believe the greatest of miracles that could happen right before our very eyes. Oh, so Lord, while we still have our Bibles in our hands and the opportunity to read it and to believe it and then to take it to the world, I pray that you would help us to do just that. Take these truths to the world and somehow to do it in great love. So Lord, we put our lives into your hands asking that you would help us in the power of your Holy Spirit to go forward boldly as we look at some of these truths in your word and feeling that urgency in our own hearts. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.